through the blood of Jesus. There we go. Now I feel like we kicked on. Woo! Thanks, Adam. Well, we've been working on a series now for a few weeks called What is So Amazing About Grace? And the thing about grace is it's not just a topic of the Bible. It is the very core of the Bible. It was love's response. And so we've been preaching out of John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the core of God's motivations was motivated by love. And grace was love's response. That's what he thought in his love. He's like, my goodness, what can I do for my kids? Because that's what you are, right? You're his kids. You know, sometimes we treat it too much as we're his creation. It's not like we're his car. He's not the inventor of the Oldsmobile. We are his kids. Sons and daughters of Almighty God. It said that Jesus was the firstborn among how many? Many, many brethren. Not just him by himself. And so it's, we've been welcomed into God's family. And so this is what love motivated God to do. It was send grace. He sent Jesus who was full of grace and full of truth. Not kind of half full. Not kind of sometimes having a little bit of grace. But full of grace. Now what does it mean if you're full? This is what I said a few weeks ago. Over Christmas we stuffed ourselves with food. And at some point we had to push ourselves back and say... I'm full. I can't stick another piece of food in me. When God looks at himself, he goes, I'm full of grace. I can't fit any more grace in me. Now consider that. The God of all the universe can't fit any more grace inside himself. What do we know about the universe? It is continually expanding every day. It's getting larger and larger and larger. And the fullness of God's grace never changes. It never gets smaller. The more he gives out, it's not like he has less. He's expanding every day, which means his grace is expanding every day with him because it's what makes him up. It's what he's full of. And this is what he says in 1 John 4.10. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so much of Christianity can be focused on, you've got to love God. You know, focus on your love for God. Um, your love for God kind of goes like this, depending on how you're feeling when you woke up in the morning. What we know about his love is it's constant, every day the same. It's flat out never-ending, never-failing love for you. And so God sent his son because of his motivation of love, and he filled himself full of grace as the response to that love. And it says God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Should we all go home now? We all had enough? Oh, come on! God didn't come into this world to judge it. Well, how come so much of what we hear from Christians is about how they're ready to judge something? Yeah. Obviously, they're not drawing from the nature of God, right? Because he didn't come in to judge the world. Actually, he told you to judge yourself. He never told you to judge others. He told you to judge yourself. He said, how come you're trying to pull the sliver out of, you, out of your neighbor's eye when you haven't taken the plank out of your own? 
And so when it comes to judgment, it's not about God judging others. It's not about you judging others. It's about you looking at yourself and saying, okay, am I adequately responding to the work that God has done on my behalf? And so we've been preaching that for by grace you have been saved. Because that's what he came to do. It said he didn't come to judge, he came to save. And it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a, everyone say it with me, gift. gift. Now what is a gift? It means I've thought about something that I really want to give Robin. She's looking at me like, woohoo! It's just an example, honey. It's not... Sure, we can go to the store after if you'd like. You come up with a gift for your spouse, and you're thinking, what would be the best thing, and what are you wanting to happen when you give that gift? You're wanting them to open it up and go, this is awesome. When we unpackage salvation and the gift that God has given, he wants us to go, oh my goodness, it's everything that I ever wanted, it's everything that I ever needed, and it's everything that I ever will need. Thank you so much. And so he says, it's not of yourselves. There's no way for us to work our way into a better position with God. When God considered salvation, he didn't consider how good you were or how bad you were. He considered Jesus. And that's wonderful because on your worst day, whether it's been really bad or not kind of bad or whatever, whatever your kick, uh, judgments is are around what bad is. Because, you know, it kind of varies for some people. Some people are horrible people, but they think they're good. Just being honest. Whatever you consider to be your worst day, God's love is deeper. And it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So grace was the provision, faith was the connection. God provided something for you, and your only job was to say, I believe. Why don't you say that with me this morning? I believe. That was your only response. Didn't God make it so easy? You know, I said it last week that one theologian said, to try and work your way to heaven by your own works is like trying to climb to the moon on a ladder made of sand. You're not going anywhere because God is not interested in your works when it comes to salvation. He's only interested in his work, his response, and all you have to do is believe it. And so last week we were focusing on the word that we get from the, in the New Testament for grace, which is the word charis. And it, in its simplest form, it means beautiful, charming, or pleasant. And it describes an act of loving kindness or generosity. And I told you that Aristotle described it as it's basically, it's an act that someone does for another without any expectation of return. But I told you that words grow in magnitude as they're applied to different things. And I was showing you, telling you last week that when you take the term explosion, it can mean a lot of things. It can be a small little poof, or it can be something more along this lines. There we go. It worked this week. Now, up until the point of the atomic bomb, people had an idea of what they thought an explosion was. And then when that happened, 
the entire magnitude changed. The same thing is with the grace of God. Charis took on a new depth of meaning when applied to God. As Tony Cook said, it began to express not simply the finite kindness of people, but the eternal love, compassion, and mercy of the one true God. So if you think about the failings of man, if Charis can be applied to them in a simple form, how about the unfailingness of God? It just went boom. And grace took on new meaning. It took on new depth. The magnitude changed. And it's never stopped changing. And so this morning, I want to take a walk through Romans chapter 5 and a bit of Romans chapter 6. Now, for the sake of time, we can't go through all of it because there's just so much involved in there. But here, I want to assign you some homework. Go home and read Romans chapter 2 through chapter 8, and you'll be able to see this in its context. Everyone say Romans chapter 2 through chapter 8. You know, as Christians, sometimes we get a, or I guess I shouldn't say as Christians, as word people, we, we say that we love the word, but really we are a favorite word. We take a little snippet here and a little snippet there. I think you should go and look at this entire subject in a, in a broader view that Paul walks through, through in the book of Romans. But he starts here in ver, cha, verse 1 of chapter 5, and he says, Therefore, so because of what's happened, because of Jesus, because of everything that he's done, whenever you see therefore, you've got to go see what it's there for. Because it's summing up something. He's talking about the work of Jesus that he's done. And he said, because of Jesus, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, everyone say it, peace. Whenever you think about your relationship with God, it's described by that word, peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into the grace on which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So it says that through that faith, what we did, he provided grace, we believed it, and now because of that transaction, it says we now stand in grace. I like how the New American Standard says it a little better. It says, through whom we've obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we stand. Now, what is an introduction? Say this is Mitch and I meeting for the first time. Hi, my name's Jordan. Hi, I'm Mitch. Oh, nice to meet you, Mitch. That was an introduction. That was the start. Now, what you do from there is up to you. Now, Mitch and I have the option. We've just met each other. We can now talk. We can get to know a little, each other a little better. We can have this as a one-time thing, or we can make it a continual thing where we be talk, we form a relationship, and our relationship begins to grow. Introductions are only ever the start. The grace of God at salvation was only the start for you. He didn't intend for salvation to be your only interaction with grace. He intended for grace to be your everyday relationship, receiving God's unmerited, undeserved favor every day and allowing it to impact how you live and what you can do based upon grace's boundaries instead of yours. And so by faith, we have obtained an introduction into the grace in which we stand. And if you want to think of it, grace is an immense ocean and you just step in and you sink and let it surround you. You'll never find the bottom. You'll never find the edges. You just sink into it. It's that enormous. 
You've been given an introduction by faith into the grace in which you stand. Now it's up to us, will we allow grace to be part of our daily interactions or will it be just our salvation? And so he says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. And I really love that because every time I think about it, I'm like, when was the last time you got a flat tire and said, oh, praise God, I'm so glad that this happened. But several times in the New Testament, we find that very thing where the writer says, be happy when you fall into problems. Why? Because grace hasn't left you and grace will lead you through the problem. You can rejoice because the problem isn't where it ends. Grace is where it ends. And so we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And it says this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So love... The response of love was grace. What do you think happens when you get your heart filled with love by the Holy Spirit? Grace. You begin to extend grace to others around you rather than only extending judgment. Love will motivate you the same way it motivates God. And he's filled you with his love, not your love. We're not talking about romantic, comedy, ooey-gooey, mushy love. We're talking about a never-ending love there where he would not, there was nothing that he would not do for you. He would scale the highest wall. He would swim through the deepest oceans. There's nothing that he would not do for you. And guess what? His love in your heart will start opening your eyes to those around you. And you'll be like, how can I not help you? How can I not be here with you? We have a world right now that's very quickly closing itself in on itself, being focused on what's good for me. That's not how you win the world by focusing on yourself. You want to see your life expand? Start lifting other people up. Start building them up. Start giving love to them and you'll find your world expand. An inward view will only ever lead to depression. That's what they say depression is. It's inward worship. I worship my stuff and my feelings and everything I got going on in my life more than I worship God. When you open your eyes and open your worldview to extend love and grace to others, you'll see your world expand. It says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Now, that verse, I've never really given it much thought, but a few months ago while I was reading through it, kind of clicked. Do you realize what Paul said? In his estimation, he doesn't think you were worth dying for. That's what he said. Most people would not be willing to die for a good person. Some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. You know, the king rallies his troops. Let's go to war. And they all, they, they're willing to die for their king because they love him and he's good and everything like that. But in Paul's estimation, he didn't think you were worth dying for. But that's okay. It wasn't Paul's estimation we needed. It was God's. Because it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So what happens is if you, if you think about it this way, if we were in war with God against him, 
We are his enemies. It'd be like us tossing a grenade towards him, it bouncing off something, landing at our feet, and then him coming and jumping on the grenade. That's what happened. We had pushed ourselves away from God through the, through the work of Adam. We had separated ourselves from him, and God said, you know what, I'm going to take this thing called sin that entered the world, I'm going to jump on the grenade and kill it. It says, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. God's not thinking every day of how can I condemn you. Some people think that's how he is. He's just waiting up there with a fly swatter that do something wrong today. Come on. I haven't moved this arm in a little bit and I'm really wanting to go. That's a lot of people's view of God is that he's angry, he's moody, you never really know what you're going to get, but it's said by the blood of Christ, it will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Now, when you make your way to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, now there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If he means no condemnation, he really means it. It says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new, everyone say this word with me, relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ who has made us friends of God. God was never looking for servitude from us. Think about this for a second. He's got infinite numbers of angels to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Let's think about it this way. God was actually never looking for worship from us. He's already got angels that do that 24-7. They fly around the throne, and when they see God, they say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God wasn't looking for you to serve him and worship him. He was looking for, say the word with me, relationship. And so grace has not only provided the means of salvation for you, it's provided the means of relationship every day with Almighty God. You know, if we even look back to the very beginning, God creates Adam in his own likeness and his own image. He gives him dominion and authority over all the works of his hand. He even tells him, you know, go name the animals. And then Adam rejects God. The same God who would come down and walk with him in the cool of the day. Why would God come down in the cool of the day to walk with him? He wanted relationship. They would walk and talk and he'd say, hey, Adam, what'd you name that funny looking animal that I created? Oh, that's an aardvark. Really? Why'd you call it an aardvark? What a weird name. And you know, him and God would have communion and fellowship together. They would walk in the cool of the day together. God was not looking for a servant. He was looking for a son. But it says here in Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone who sinned. And so because of Adam's choice to walk away from God, and it was a choice, he could have let Eve be the one, only one that fell. It was Adam's choice. Eve said, oh, this, this fruit tastes pretty good. And Adam said, here, let, let me try some of that. So it was Adam's choice to walk away, and therefore we are all given the choice 
whether or not we want to receive grace. It will only ever be your choice. God will never force grace upon you. He gives you the choice every day. Here's something that would be good practice for us, myself included. Get up in the morning and say, Father, I choose to receive your grace this day. If you start your day with the perspective, I'm going to receive your grace. I thank you, Lord, that there's things coming across my path today that I didn't deserve, I didn't work for, but I know you're wanting to bless me today abundantly. I know you're wanting to go above and beyond my wildest dreams, that your word said that you do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. So, Father, I thank you that your grace has found me today. It has surrounded me. It has overwhelmed me. And, Father, today I choose to receive and walk in your grace. Grace is always a choice. So we might as well start actively making that choice. It goes on in verse 16, it says, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. So the way Adam screwed up is very different from the way God fixed things. Just so that we're not thinking they're equal, they're not one for one, the Bible says they're not the same thing. It says, for Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to us being made right, even though we were guilty of many sins. Okay, so the Bible tells us we've done a lot of things wrong. We need to deal with this idea of what sin is, though, because we have a way of, of, uh, of categorizing it as like, oh, it was murder or it was lust or it was envy. But really, the word for sin just simply means to miss the mark. There was a goal that was prescribed and anything but perfection was missing the mark. And guess what? You've been anything but perfect today. You've missed the mark in many ways. So whether it was one of the big sins that people like to go, oh no, you didn't. Or maybe it was one of the, nobody ever saw you so they don't know and what they don't know won't hurt them. You know, it doesn't matter what it was, it's been forgiven. It's been put under the blood. It's been hit with the grace of God. And so we were guilty of many sins, but that actually wasn't the one that was caused our separation from God. Let's jump over to John chapter 16. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is one of his final conversations with them. And he says, For if I don't go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Papa, papa, papa. You know, that's how we often get preached religiously about this. And I've heard many messages about this. God's going to convict you of your sin. He's going to make you feel bad about what you have done so that you'll turn to Him. Really? We need to read things in context. Because the next verse says this. The world's sin is that they refuse to believe in me. The only sin that needed to be paid for, the only thing that was separating is that we had pushed away from God and we no longer believe. And what is he talking about, the righteousness? It says that righteousness is available. Isn't that good to know? Right standing is available to everyone because he goes to the Father and you will see me no more. And then of judgment because the ruler of the world, this world, is judged. The judgment he was talking about wasn't even your judgment. It was Satan's. And that's why we have to keep things in context. So the Holy Spirit's coming to convict the world of sin that they don't believe. What does the word convict mean? It means bring to light. You know, there's many ways you can bring things to light. 
You know, with your children, when they do things wrong, you can point things out in a good way or a bad way. You can have, do things that will harm the way that they'll proceed, or you can open doors to show them what is right in a loving and gracious manner. And God is not one to say, you've been so horrible, you don't believe. He's one and says, hey, my child, I love you so much. Here, why don't you walk with me and I'll show you how things should be. God will always approach things in a loving and gracious manner. But, so, he said the sin that the Holy Spirit's pointing out is that people don't believe. And you know how he causes them? He leads them into belief. And it says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Meaning he'll work with you. He'll show you the steps. If you need to turn left, he takes you left. If you need to turn right, he takes you right. He will guide you. And he won't speak of his own, but he'll tell you what he has heard, and he will tell you about the future. So here's a question. Wasn't the law enough to teach them? You know, we've got, throughout the Old Testament, we have the Ten Commandments, the don't kill, don't steal, don't envy, don't have any other gods, you know, all different 10 of them. Then there's 600 other laws that the, the Israelites would try to follow. And I say try loosely because sometimes they didn't even bother. And the Bible's filled with all kinds of these experiences that they went through because they ignored God's instructions. So if God had done so many things, why did he bring the law in to begin with? Here it says in Romans 20, it says God's law was given so that people could see how sin sinful they were. So think about this. The law was never given to make them right. It was given so they would understand that they needed to be made right. And it says, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. I love this way. It says this in the Amplified. But where sin increased and abounded, God's unmerited favor has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. So the intention of the law was that they would see they would need the grace that was in abundance all around them. The law dealt with your actions. It was a list of do's and don'ts. The covenant of grace deals with your heart. The problem with the law is that they were incapable of keeping it because of their nature. What did we read two, two, two weeks ago? That God cut out the sinful nature. He's now given you the ability to do what is right by the grace of God. You know, when we're ta talking about these aspects of grace where it's all based upon God's work and what God has done, he's not looking at your goods, he's not looking at your bads, inevitably people come to the conclusion of this, and it's not a good conclusion. God doesn't actually care what you do. And it couldn't be further from the truth. It's kind of like a saying to your child, oh, I love you so much, you're so good, and then you see them out playing, and they're running through the street about to get caught by a car, hit by a car, and you're like, oh, it's okay, grace. If you do that with your kids, I will call the police on you. <laughs> oh, come on, laugh a little. God infinitely cares what you do because he cares about your well-being. He cares that you're growing up healthy. He cares 
of the things you surround yourself. He doesn't want you sitting in darkness all the time, so he created electricity to turn on the light. And electricity is his love and his grace and his mercy. And it says this in 6.1, it says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Because where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So should we keep sinning? Obviously, some people in modern day Christianity have, are not the first people to reach this conclusion because Paul had to address it 2,000 years ago. Should we keep on sinning so that grace can abound? Of course not! Since <laughs> so since we have died to sin, how can we li- continue to live in it? And since so we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin, everyone say it with me, might lose its power in our lives. So God did not give you grace to keep you the same way you've always been. He gave you grace to transform your life, to allow you to live a life that was never possible with what you had before under your own strength. And so the sad thing is that God will allow Christians to live completely ordinary lives if they so choose. They can live like everybody else, but you were not designed to live like everyone else. You were not designed to live by this world's rules and regulations. You were designed to live in God's grace and God's love. He was called you to be abundantly blessed. He's called you to be healthy. He's called you to be prosperous in your spirit, soul, and body. But he will never force you to make that choice. But when he was crucified on the cross, he did it so that sin might lose its power in our lives. It says, likewise, also reckon yourselves indeed dead to sin, but alive unto God. The word reckon means to add up the books and look that he's wiped out the wrong side and that it's now all about his grace and his love. It says, do not let sin control the way you live and don't give in to your sinful desires. It says, sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirement of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And then he goes back to it again. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever, everyone say it, me. Whatever I decide to obey, you become a slave to. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. It kind of reminds me of a verse in the Old Testament. It goes a little bit like this. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and cursings. Now I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. So the choice of how you want to live is up to you, but one course leads to blessings, and one course leads somewhere else. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's ways that we can live on this earth that aren't going to lead us into God's blessing are leading us nowhere but death. Proverbs says that there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it's his own destruction. So there's ways that if we listen to man's wisdom 
It's not going to take us to those places of blessing and abundance that God has laid out. But it says the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So He has given you the choice to choose eternal life, or eternal zoe is the word that's used there. It means the God quality and the God kind of life. The free gift, which was what? The gift of His grace, the gift of Jesus, the gift of salvation. It has given you the choice to lay hold of eternal God kind of life every day. Eternal means lasting or existing forever. So we were actually not called to do right in our own strength because we saw how well that worked with the law. They were incapable. The day the law was given, you know what they said? We will keep all of the things that you have commanded. By the end of the week, they had already transgressed most of them. And man in his pride will say, God, I can do it. But man in humility should stop and say, God, through you I can do it. What what does Philippians say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And a lot of people cut it down to, I can do all things. Yes, I can do all things. No, you can't. You can do all things through Christ. But the moment that you choose to leave him at the door, you fail to be able to do all things. But the great thing is, back to John, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So not only will he show you where you need to be doing and what we're going and what you need to be doing, the Holy Spirit is also the one that empowers you to be able to do it. It said, you shall receive power once the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Hebrews 10.29 calls him the spirit of grace. So if you want to walk in the grace of God, the way you do it is through the Holy Spirit. You stop and say, Holy Spirit, where should I be giving my attention to? What should I be doing? How should I be living my life? Here's the thing that I've learned over the last, uh, going on like 11 years of ministering. When you tell someone what they need to do, 100% of the time, they won't do it. When God tells them what to do, 100% of the time, they'll do it. So it's not up for me to tell you how you need to live your life. I'm telling you, follow God. He will tell you what to do and what not to do every day. And we listen to what's called the, the inward witness, the still small voice. You say, God, this is what I'm going to go do. How does that now feel on the inside? Should I do that or should I not do that? If it feels like, don't do it. You know, every day, myself included, we override the leading the, the, of the Holy Spirit There's times when he'll be telling you, don't do that. Why? Because he's trying to keep you away from the wages of sin is death. He wants to lead you into the gift of God is eternal life. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And then it tells us that grace teaching us denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And so he's saying it teaches us to deny ungodliness. Now, let's qualify this. Ungodliness is not sin. Ungodliness is everything that is not God. So if God has given you direction, ungodliness is not following that direction. Sounds simple enough? So please don't say, Pastor Jordan, tell me what I shouldn't do because I can't tell you that. Yes, there's general things like in the Ten Commandments. Don't murder people. 
Don't steal things. Don't have other gods. They're simple things that is called simple morality. You know, the world knows that that's wrong. They don't need God to tell them that they shouldn't kill people. We're talking about in the directions of your life. God's not going to give me a list of do's and don'ts for you. He's going to have me lead you towards his grace and his love. Because the spirit of grace will show you exactly what you need to be doing when you need to be doing it. So what you need to do is just choose God in all you do. That's why Peter said, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. Of all the things Peter could have ended his last book with, there could have been, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Oh, please, please don't do this. Of all the things he could have ended his last writing with, he chose to remind them, grow in grace. So the most important thing we can be doing on a daily basis is choosing to grow in God's grace. To say, Father, there's so many things I could do today. Where should I be going? What should I be doing? Should I be putting my focus in this job? Do you have something else for me? Where should I be going? And he will lead you. The thing about a relationship is you get to have conversations. And if you have a question, you can ask. If you have a question about what you should be doing in your life, I encourage you, ask God. If you're feeling like you're needing direction, ask God. He's, Holy Spirit's there to guide us. What we're talking about this morning is where most people focus on the grace of God is what we call saving grace. But that's only one side of the manifold grace of God, as the Bible calls it. The many different sides of grace. It's all the same grace of God, but it, 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 uh, it acts different ways in different situations. And what we're talking about today is called sanctifying grace. Meaning, learning how to live your life set apart for God's use. God will use you if you're open to it. If you don't want to, that's fine. He won't use you. But if you want to live an extraordinary life, a life that falls into the category that was exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think, the way you do that is opening up your heart to the grace of God because you're already standing in it. Which means if I'm standing in a puddle, I don't have to try and get my feet wet. They're already wet. But maybe it's time to do a little dancing and enjoy the grace of God. So Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that it has appeared unto us. We thank you for your spirit of grace that fills us up to the overflow. And Holy Spirit, we ask you, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, and please lead us and give us your direction. And we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are all blessed. Have a wonderful week. Let's have some coffee and fellowship.